Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Blaze and Rye, Sunday afternoon show. Today on the show, very excited to have the man who had the number one comedy album last week on iTunes, Mr. Steve Hofstetter. Here we go. Or do you just kind of go with it and see how they react to you? 
no, you know, I figure people who come to see my show are coming to see my show. You know, they're not coming to see the Indiana version of my show or the Florida version of my show. So, you know, I might make a couple of local references. I might, you know, yesterday I was in uh, Clarion, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Pittsburgh. And so, you know, I did five minutes about how Ben Roethlisberger is a rapist. And, you know, and if you root for him, you have to accept that. And, you know, that's something that I, I did because I was there and it was fun for me. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, my, you know, my set is my set. And, you know, I'm not one of these comics. Like a lot of comics who, you know, perform in New York too much or write a bunch of subway jokes or, you know, some of the L.A. guys will write jokes about auditioning. And, you know, what my, my set, I try to bulletproof it so that it's funny, whoever you are. Yeah. Awesome. You I heard that you may have had a little... Uh, did did you have a little uh, problem in in Kansas with uh, talking about abortion, or did the crowd react there uh, differently? Yeah, I don't know how much of that I can go into, you know, in a crowded airport. Um, but <laughs> it, it it was uh, you know, it was interesting. That my favorite part actually. So I opened my set it, with you know the first line of the joke. I just walked on stage and I said, "Here's the funny thing about abortion." And I just started talking and. Uh, and a woman got up and walked out. And, you know, and I found out from the staff later on that she left because she had just had one. And, you know, and so that, so she stormed out, didn't even want to hear what I had to say, didn't know if she agreed with me, if she disagreed with me, whatever, you know, just closed her mind and left. And I thought that was ridiculous. I said to the staff, I was like, that it was five seconds into my set. You know, man, this woman gives up on things quickly. <laughs> Uh-huh. Did you say that during your set? Uh, no, I didn't know till after. You know, I didn't find out. But I do oh, tell okay. the story on stage now. You know, I mean, I didn't find out till after the show. The, the most right. amazing thing, though, was that actually she didn't even say it to the staff. Like, her friend said it loudly. So, like, mm-hmm. she's walking out. And the staff's like, what's wrong? The show just started. And really loudly, her friend just goes, she had an abortion. Like, wow, that's not the kind of thing you say to the stranger, but okay, good for you. <laughs> um, so, well, speaking of crowds having interesting reactions, there's uh, several clips on YouTube of you uh, handling hecklers. It's, it's kind of you've, you've kind of uh, developed this into an art form uh, of your own, handling these hecklers. Do you feel like uh, that that is, helps the show along? Do you, like, because you're so good at that, do you think that that adds to the comedy set, or does it irritate you when they start heckling? Well, well, I think, you know, it, it depends. I do have a segment of my set where I'll do, like, a Q&A. And I actually had, a you know, an example of it on, on the new album um, where, you know, it's kind of a, a guided participation. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. You can participate as much as you want during that. But if I'm in the middle of telling a joke and you yell something out, there's no possible way that what you've yelled out is going to enhance the joke. So what's going to happen is, yes, I'm going to be very funny embarrassing you, but you've ruined the story that I was telling. You know, there's no right. way to go back to something. when you Because the whole thing is, whether or not it's planned, comedy is best when it seems unplanned. And so mm-hmm. you can't go back to a joke because then it's like, oh, I need to go back to the script. I need to talk about what I rehearsed. And so it loses the magic of that. And so, you know, I, I really, I, I, get a, I get offended by the notion that someone, because they paid 12 bucks and, you know, bought two drinks or whatever it is, that that makes them more important than everyone else who bought a ticket. Um, so, yeah. you know, I put those videos up not to encourage hecklers, not to be like, oh, let's heckle them and see what you can do. 
you know, but to show people that if you start with me, you will die. And, you know, and I think it, I think it discourages more than it encourages. <laughs> How do you make sure like that? Um, uh, uh, you just mentioned that it need comedy needs to seem new when you do roughly the same act mm-hmm. each night. Uh, you know, actors have, they always say that, uh, you know, you're doing a show eight times a week. It has to be different every time. How do you make sure that, it's different every time you go on stage to do your act. Well, I mean, it is it is a challenge. And, you know, part of that is the energy level of the crowd is different. Part of that is I like to mix it up with some crowd work where, where I do, you know, solicit involvement. Um, and then yeah. part of it is you just got to sell it. You know, I mean, that's the challenge to really make it seem new. Like I had, a, you know, yesterday's show, I did an hour and 20 minutes, and I'd say a half hour of it was off the cuff. You know, but that mm-hmm. means 50 minutes of it was rehearsed and planned and word for word. And right. someone asked me after the show, like the person who was putting it on was like, you know, said, hey, do you ever write anything down or do you just make stuff up off the cuff? And I was like, well, I guess I, I guess I sold it yesterday. <laughs> you know, I guess I guess <laughs> I convinced them. Well, because I had enough ad lib that it made the rest of it seem like it was as well, you know. Right. And that's that's okay. my that's my little that's my trick. That's your little trick. Um, so, Steve, last week you had the number one comedy album on iTunes, and you you have proclaimed congratulations. By the way, that's amazing. Thank you. I I agree with yes, you. Sir. That is amazing. I was shocked. I, you know, like <laughs> a lot of people are like, well, that's what we were hoping for. Yeah. Well, if you haven't had one yet, you don't expect to have one. I don't care who you are. Like, uh-huh. I you know when that I mean when that hit, you know I was I was shocked to break the top ten, let alone hit number one. I mean that was. To me, that was just incredible. That's that's one of these things that, you know, I look back, there are a couple things in my career that I go, you know what, if I quit tomorrow, I could tell these stories the rest of my life, and that is one of them. Yeah, definitely. You were up there with some uh, some heavy hitters. You still are up there on the charts. Do you uh, you had proclaimed that you were going to take the uh, the Lonely Island down when you were in the number two spot. How, how, how did mm-hmm. it, it – it probably felt good, didn't it? Well, when you did I actually really liked Lonely Island. Um uh-huh. That was actually the best part of it, is that the, you know, when when I, so when I went to sleep, I was number 28, because it comes out, you know, midnight, and then when I woke up, I was number three, and the people in front of me were Louis C.K. and Lonely Island, you know, Louis C.K. is one of my absolute favorites, and I like Lonely Island a lot, yeah. so it was, you know, it, it felt even better, you know, that I was competing with people that I admire and respect, Right, you know, as opposed to you know, as opposed to being like, oh man, Carlson and Finn, Larry the Cable Guy are number one and two. Uh, so it it actually felt even better, and you know, and it wasn't even it wasn't even me. It was really my fans kind of rallied behind it. I put a little I put a promise out there that I was going to do something cool if it hit number one, and it did. So I I made three of my other albums free for 24 hours. So I said, you know, you you guys rallied behind me to to buy this album. So now you get all. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Thank you. I, uh, I I partook in that free the three free albums. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> Hope you enjoyed those. <laughs> um, and I did, I did. I did. I did pay for the new one as well. I appreciate that. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh, one of sure. them. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna ignore that. Uh, <laughs> one of them. One of them actually. So I, I have this is my fifth album. There was one that I couldn't release because I don't own the copyright to it. The Cure for the Cable Guy album is, is still under Razor and Tie. But uh, the first one, they, this was actually, this kind of even made me a little nervous. 
my first album is so drastically different from the style that I have now that I was like, mm-hmm. ah, do I want to put this out there? You know, I'm okay if people buy it, I guess. But, you know, I didn't really want to put it out there in mass. But I guess, I guess for someone who's a comedy fan who's interested in the process and the development, I think it is actually interesting to see the difference in my act over the years, you know, and yeah, I mean, tips like Blitz, I'm I'm embarrassed by, you know, hell, I'm embarrassed by Cure, and that actually is my second bestseller, because uh, I just feel uh-huh. like my style is so different now, um, you know. But Why are you embarrassed by it? Because uh, it's just not me, you know, it's not the type of stuff I talk about. Some of the subject matter, you know, I figure if I were to go back there, and say, okay, I'm going to take the best stuff from this album and I'm going to use it again in the future. I'm going to edit and blah, blah, blah. I'd be able to find 15 minutes off of each one that I'm proud of, you know. But the other stuff was just, you know, a, a young comic trying to find his voice. And so it's, you know, I'm a perfectionist. I think a lot of us are. And, you know, the second you record something, you realize how to make it better. Um, but for those, it was, you know, it's leaps and bounds. It's just I, my stuff is really different right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's it's interesting that you answered the, uh, the you know overtaking the Lonely Island, Louis C.K. in that uh, uh, last week with the charts. It's um, the way you answered it was almost like an athlete, you know, who gets to who say he admires a, a another <laughs> athlete growing up and then gets to play him. You know, you gave a very well, sports uh, like answer. Yeah, I used to be a sports writer. I guess that's where I learned it. But no, but I I am. I mean, I am honest when I say that. There are a lot of there are a lot of people out there who you know who I wouldn't necessarily be honored to share the field with you know, but mm-hmm. you know but those guys especially Louis C.K. I mean how do you you know uh, how do you, how do you write that much that quickly that well you know he's I mean he's incredibly prolific and I mean there are some comics that are fantastic but they'll take five ten years to develop that awesome hour and Louis C.K. has yeah. it one every six months and you know and maybe that's what you can do you know once you're just turning down work, you know, because you're because you have so much of it. But you know, at the same time, it's uh, you know I very much respect him. You know, he's I met him a couple times. He's always been really nice to me. And and uh, actually, the first time I ever met him, uh, you know, because I mean I have red hair and he used to. Um, and so <laughs> the first time I ever met him, uh, I was hosting a show at the Hollywood Improv and I introduced him. And he just goes, "Huh, that host looks like me before I lost it all." Uh, which I thought that I thought that was awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, I saw you said, Steve, that you uh, you were thankful that you didn't cry on a Barbara Walters special. What what, what was yeah. your role on that stuff? Well, I was only on it very briefly. Um, I just feel like everybody cries on that, and I apologize. Apparently, there's a, a bus to Kansas City right now, which they're making up. So that that's got to be. Awful. We were doing so good. Uh huh. Yeah, to be flying, flying into Des Moines only to take the bus to Kansas City. Ah, uh, what a life. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, the Barbara Walters special, it was kind of cool. They had a, you know, I have a bit of a production background as well. You know, I've produced, a, a, you know, a, a ton of live shows. I own a piece of a couple comedy clubs. And, and so Barbara Walters was putting together this segment of her of her special where it was about living forever and, you know, living longer and getting old. And so she had a, a piece of the special that was, you know, about how it's okay to make fun of old people and how that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be a taboo in comedy and how, you know, everything else is taboo, but that's one that's not. And so she actually had, right. she needed someone who was both a comic and a producer to put together basically an evening of comedy to make jokes about getting older. 
So I put it together and I hosted it and, you know, and one of my jokes aired and a couple of my friends who, you know, were also great comics were also on and, and that was uh was kind of a kind of a neat little uh neat little thing we got to do. I mean, how many people have written for Maxim and been on Barbara Walters? <laughs> <laughs> Did she interview you or she showed you on stage making No no no, no I was just on stage doing the joke. Um but the oh. weirdest part was is actually my uh my buddy Dennis Donahue, who's a comic he was on it as well, and they actually, you know, they used him in the commercial. He got a, a good amount of face time, and it's a bit strange because his best two credits are Barbara Walters special and Howard Stern, and it's mm-hmm. you cannot you cannot have more polar opposites than that, and uh, and so we always got a kick out of that. <laughs> um, well, uh, congratulations on not crying uh, in front of Barbara Walters. I, I appreciate I appreciate that. Yeah. Yes, wonderful yes. accomplishment. When you get to like morally safer or something, you may you may have some problems. I'm gonna shed a tear. I might. Yeah. Uh, so, I think I would shed a tear if I don't get to be on TV. Not if I do. You know, if I'm if, if I'm on if, if I'm on a special where 15 million people are watching it, I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna be I'll just be happy to be there. I hear you. Um, so you were the original writer for uh, CollegeHumor.com, being uh, yep. that you were involved in, in I guess what, what were the early stages of that. Did you did you have any inkling that it was going to take off in the way that it did? No, I mean if I did, I would probably own stock. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really. Uh, I mean, I certainly benefited from it. You know, it started my career. Um, but it was it was one of these things where it just you know kind of kept growing, inch by inch. I was the fourth guy there. And it, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And when I graduated college, I was a year older than them. So when I graduated college, they hadn't yet made this like, a, you know, tried to have a go at it as a full-time company. So I wasn't working for them. If I was the same mm-hmm. age, I would have graduated college and actually went to work there and then owned a piece of it. And then when it was sold for $50 million, I would have been a very happy man. But, uh, you know, instead, I still write for them. Um, but it, it is something that, you know, it absolutely started my career. I give them full credit with that because people in the college market knew who I was even before I was a comic, you know, and they're, I mean, it, it, it is great stuff. Not everything on there is something that's of my taste, you know, but it definitely mm-hmm. has, you know, enough appeal for, and I think actually this is what makes it such a different site is that it's got, you know, the, you know, the stereotypical, you know, animal house mentality but it also has that kind of nerd chic as well. And I think that's, right. that's the difference, that both can be found there. So, you know, I can go to the nerd chic stuff and kind of skip, you know, the dumber stuff. And then there are some other people who, who don't get a clever joke who can just go right to the pictures. So it's, it's you know, a little, <laughs> little of everything. So frat guys and hipsters alike can enjoy collegehumor.com. Uh, I, I'm a, a quote-unquote, you know, frat guy um, or fraternity man or whatever it is. Um, you know, I, but the, I think, I think the, the kind of the culture of it's okay to be intelligent, you know, with, I mean, between The Daily Show and Colbert and Bill Maher, you know, I think there's a lot more of that, uh, you know, in the last 10, 20 years than never has been before. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you think that that's, uh, that, that that's made comedy more, um, more relevant in the, uh, I mean, it has, it. Right, <laughs> John Stewart and Colbert, and, and making it smarter. The fact that, you know, the fact that The Daily Show is probably the most important political talk show there is, 
I mean, that's yeah. incredible. It's also depressing. You know, as much as as much as it's a victory for comedy, you know, it's a gigantic loss for every other political pundit. Like, it, right? You know, I think I think Maddow does a good job. You know, Rachel Maddow does a good job of you know pursuing truth, although clearly she has an agenda. But she does, mm-hmm. you know, work on pursuing truth and putting stuff together. And then pretty much everyone else, you know, including the other MSNBC talent, is you know, a conspiracy theorist from one side or the other. And it's it's really sad. It's very, very difficult to have a rational dialogue. You know, the, the way I described it, and I, I don't know if I'll ever turn this into a bit, but it's just, you know, watching watching two people from different sides talk about politics is like watching people play tennis with no rackets. Like, it's just <laughs> nothing, nothing gets accomplished. You know, the ball doesn't go back and forth. It's just, it's just people are swinging wildly. And that's basically what we've devolved into, and it's it's a really it's a really sad state of affairs when comedians are the ones that have the mantle of you know of truth. Yeah, I I I realized the other day that I I very much politically would lean more towards uh, MSNBC than say Fox News, but I realized the other night that it watching it gives me a headache, and uh, I I can't watch yeah. it anymore. Well, yeah. like I said, you know, I am, you know, I am a fan of Maddow. I think she does a good job. Um, but, you know, other stuff, it's just, it's just trying to be divisive. And that's why Amer- uh, Air America failed. Because, you know, mm-hmm. on on the left, like on the right, there is a, there is a large group of people who, who want to be right no matter what the cost. And who, who, you know, observe the world with cognitive dissonance and, and say, you know what, this is right because I believe it not I believe it because it's right. Whereas on the left, you have a lot of people, you know, I think the majority um, just wants things to be better and wants truth. And, you know, and so when you have these wild conspiracy theories and you have this, we're right all the time, you're going to actually alienate a lot of your base. And so that's why America failed. That's why MSNBC's ratings aren't that great. You know, it's because it's not what the audience is looking for, you know, and as a, as an entertainer, which is let's face it, what every one of those people are, you have to know your base. Definitely. Yeah. Did you, um, when you were, uh, well, you say you still write for college humor. Did you, uh, act perform in skits for them? Do you still? Uh, no, I actually, uh, I, you know, my days are kind of before they were doing the video. Uh, uh-huh. so I, you know, I've got, I've got a video here and there that, you know, I put together that, you know, that is up there. But, you know, once, by the time they started doing the video, I was already touring 300 days a year, you know. So it's, I actually get a lot, a lot after shows, um, you know, people would be like, oh, how come you don't do more with college humor? And I was like, you know, I'm a little busy. (laughs) You know, I I, I do. Performing for you. Yeah. It's like, well, Uh I could, but then I wouldn't be in Des Moines. Uh-huh. By the way, it wouldn't be wouldn't be a terrible thing, but but the point being that you know you can't you can't do everything all the time, you know, and and I I think I do more than most. I have you know what I call a spidered career, you know, in in you know writing, acting, performing, producing, you know, owning. I I also own a management company, you know, and and there's just only so much I can do before I just freak out with that. So 
If, yeah. if I only can write for them every couple of months, if that, then that's what it's going to be. But I do have an essay in a new book that's coming out. So uh, oh, Kyle cool. Humors is just releasing another book, and and uh, and one of my one of my essays is in there. So yeah, that should be fun. Oh, that's awesome. Do you know when the book's coming out? No idea. Um, in fact, okay. I don't even know if I'm allowed to be public about it. So oops. But <laughs> um, but I do know I had to you know file some paperwork. So at some point I, I need to keep an eye out. I I don't think it's a huge secret. I'm, you know that eventually another one was going to come out, but you know I, I think uh, I guess I'll let I'll let you know once once we start promoting it officially. Cool. Um, so you mentioned before that you you had a sports background as well. Did you mm-hmm. bring a lot of comedy to your sports radio show that you hosted? Mm-hmm. Oh sure. Well, I mean the the sports radio show was all comedy. Like the concept oh, okay. was basically. Um, you know, no one had ever done – every funny sports show was always sports first, funny second. Whereas if you look at the uh-huh. Formula Daily show, it's funny first, politics second. And right. that's why it works. You know, because someone who wants news – well, I, I, we covered this already. Let's just talk sports for a second. If you want stats, you want box scores, you're going to go to the hard news place. You don't need to be entertained. If you want to find out the next one, you find out, you know? But mm-hmm. – People who want to be entertained and also like sports, you know, you need that entertainment aspect to be there. And so the premise of the show was basically like, we're going to be hilarious, but we'll talk sports. And, you know, and that's kind of what we did. And when I wrote for Sports Illustrated, I mean, my column was a humor column, like one of my first columns. And this was the thing that basically, you know, once I wrote this column, uh, other people, like, they let me recommend other columnists. I liked it so much. It was basically. I wrote a column confessing to be on performing enhancers. Because as a columnist, I use Google, you know, I do interviews, you know, and that's not, uh, you know, it's the equivalent of writer steroids. So I, I basically had this whole, you know, fake confession and pretty much just sounded just as stupid as Sammy Sosa and anyone else who, who went through that. So it was a, uh-huh. I had a lot of fun with it. And as you see from the new album, I mean, the, the, the stuff I talk about, even though the subject is abortion, I talk about Tim Tebow and, you know, I go into that whole thing. So, you know, I, I definitely, you know, kind of keep my head in both worlds. Yeah, definitely. I guess, I guess you have to. Um, uh, well, you, you actually, speaking of sports, you, you said that you publicly admitted to being a Ranger fan. Why, why so ashamed yeah. of the blue shirts? Well, at the time... You know, it had been a couple of years since they had made the playoffs. They were uh, – the Rangers were basically – the Rangers were where, you know, where all-stars go to die. Like, the Rangers uh-huh. would have the best hockey players of all time three, four years after they won anything. I mean, Gretzky was a Ranger, which was wonderful, but he didn't win anything. You know, it's because he was a Ranger after his days, you know. I mean, if you if you go through that roster, you know we were the best damn forty-two year old hockey team there was, and so it was uh, it was a little embarrassing at the time. But then they, uh, you know, they started getting a little better. And uh, last year, I got very disappointed because they started the season so damn good and then just kind of fell off. But we'll see what happens this year. Okay, cool. What do you think about the uh, What do you think about the Knicks now that they got Mello? That's going to be a good addition to the team there. I actually I hate the move. I really do. Um do you? you know, I I believe I believe that 
teams win championships, players don't. You know, and you know, if you look at what was the best player wise, what was the best basketball team that we've seen in our lifetime? It was that Kobe Shaq, Gary Payton, uh and uh oh god, who was the fourth? There was someone else on that team that was also like, you know, perennial all star. I forget who it was. But anyway, point being they didn't win. Um, because there were just too many personalities on the team. Um, Mello hasn't won anything. Everybody's talking like, oh, he's this great player, he's this great player. What if he won a playoff series? You know, like, he's just, he's not LeBron. He's not Wade. You know, he's a good player with a terrible head on his shoulders. And, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just hoping that Amari is a good enough leader to actually settle him down, you know. Uh, the fun part is, is that all the people with the Greg Anthony jerseys from the early '90s can wear them again. So it's the same number. Uh, well, not the same number, but it still says Anthony, and we'll know the difference, you know. Oh. So. <laughs> That's true. Carmelo did win the, uh, the 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 college championship once, though. Won one thing. Yeah, as a freshman. Oh, good. Right? I don't think that uh-huh. counts. I mean, <laughs> if college counts, talk to Ryan Leaf. You know. College doesn't count. Uh-huh. If co- you know what? If college basketball counts, talk to anyone who ever played for Duke. You know, because <laughs> because they won plenty, and and you know the best that Duke alumni has been in recent years is a sixth man, and it's I mean, right. what Luel Deng is probably the best <laughs> Duke alum. Uh, it, it's it's amazing how many of their stars go because it, it, they play the college offense, and the college and the pro game are very very different. They are based on the same sport, but they're very, uh-huh. very different. And there are plenty of players who go through college who are fantastic that says a lot of the pros. Um, and part of that, part of that is their head. It's not even that it's a different game. It's that you have to be, you know, able to deal with being, you know, a, a multi, multi, multi millionaire many times over. Mm-hmm. And some people just can't handle that life. Did you, do you, you watch any of Basketball Wives on VH1? No, I haven't seen it. Um, What's going on there? It was amazing to watch. It was basically because you really get to see just the trash that some of these guys are married to or or uh-huh. have knocked up. Um, it was just it was it was so amazing. It had to have been the worst PR for the league that you know that they've ever had. I have no idea right. how how that got greenlighted, how that didn't get stopped. Um, one of them, the the funniest one was there. There was one who was actually uh, uh, Dwight Howard's baby mama, um, but uh-huh. she's legally not allowed to say his name on television. Um, because, okay. he, I mean, Dwight Howard is smart enough that he basically, you know, went to court and said, this is going to be bad for, for the child. You know, if our mm-hmm. kid grows up in this spotlight, that is that is bad for the kid. So you cannot call attention to this, um, which I thought was kind of cool. So she kept, like, hinting at who it was, but couldn't actually say his name. Uh, it was uh, it was it was phenomenal trash television, um, and it, you know I mean I I didn't TiVo it or anything, but I did catch a few episodes, and it was it was worthwhile. <laughs> um, well, yeah, the last tra- phenomenal trash television I saw was Flavor of Love. I missed that. Did you watch that? Um, you know I didn't. I didn't because I think that that like I part of why I watch trash TV now is uh, so. My wife loves reality TV, and mm-hmm. we love watching it together because basically, like, 
will this mystery science theater through thousand the hell out of it, you know? Like, right. while we're watching this garbage, we'll just make fun of it, and, you know, constantly. Um, like, there was, you, have you seen the show, the MTV show, that I used to be fat? What's it called? It's called I Used to Be Fat. And it's oh, a show uh, no, I haven't, I haven't seen that one either. They, they basically take a summer, and they work out with people. Like, they have a personal trainer. And, you know, sometimes it's amazing. It's these, like, you know, 80 pound over one summer transformations, and you barely recognize the person. But every now and then you get someone who just didn't do it. And, mm-hmm. like, where they have basically have to rename the episode, I'm still fat. Like, uh-huh. it's... It's kind of amazing, like to, that someone is given this amazing opportunity, and they're still like, nope, nope, I don't have any work ethic. I'm not going to do it, despite this being the thing that I want more than anything else in life. And I'm basically being paid to have it happen. And on national TV, and could embarrass myself. That's still not enough motivation. So it's, uh, you know, it's interesting, as, especially as a comic, you get to see the human condition. Yeah, that's rough. Um... Well, they don't actually change the title, though, right? They just kind of go with the, no, 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 no. I mean, that's the kind. Of, that's just the kind of thing that that my wife and I say. You know, there's yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, someone who goes through and you know has a goal of losing a hundred pounds over a summer and ends up losing ten. You know, I mean, that's water weight. Like all they have, <laughs> all they have, all they have to do on that is just you know eat a little bit of salt, and it'll be fine. <laughs> So uh, we mentioned uh, dealing with with hecklers before. What is the craziest heckler you have ever dealt with, and how did you handle it? Oh, uh, you got to bear in mind I'm in public right now, um, so and no phone. There's some kind and of airport no walking through the airport. Yeah, um, you know what? My my favorite one, and this is the one. Every now and then, there's there's a moment that I don't tape that I really wish I had on tape. Usually, uh-huh. you know, it's just something that's kind of funny, but this is one that I, oh, I wish I had this, because there was a woman who was drunk the entire show, and she's just yelling stuff out, yelling stuff out, and I put her in her place a couple of times, and, you know, and, and the, the whole crowd can't stand her, and, you know, and, and I thought I shut her up, and then at the end, I say something about, you know, uh, you know, how, like, I enjoy doing stand-up, although some nights it's more difficult than others, which is a shot at her, and she yells out that it's right. easy. She she dares say that what I do is easy, and that really pissed me off. And what so did she I, say? It was cheesy? No, easy. What? Easy? easy. Oh, like, easy? Yeah, like opposite of different. Uh-huh. Um, and which which was just, I, I mean, so offensive to say to anyone about their job, but, you know, let alone something that really is as difficult as this. You know, I right. mean, anyone who's ever tried it for five minutes understands that this isn't, you know, this doesn't come naturally. Uh, and mm-hmm. so what I did is I luckily had been paid uh, the night before in hundreds. So I had a $100 bill in my pocket. So uh, what I did is I said, okay, I got a bet for you. I got $100 that says you come up here, you do five minutes, then I close with five minutes, and you'll see how easy it is. A $100. <laughs> says that I will rock you. So then she goes, oh, let's see the money. So I took the $100 bill out. Now, this woman, I don't think had ever seen a $100 bill. So <laughs> I take the 100 out, and I kind of snap it into the microphone. And uh, and so, I, so she starts walking up to the stage, and I said, no, 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 you put your money on the table. I put mine up, you put yours up. So then she stops, realizes what she's just gotten into, and says, uh-huh. you know, 
the economy is really tough right now. Uh, you know, I don't think I can afford to risk $100. To which I said, so not only are you not good enough at my job to make $100, you're not good enough at your job to make $100. Um, and and that was the last she spoke. <laughs> so uh, that was, I mean, because, and, and the reason I, I wish I had that one on tape is because that one is really like, it, it really kind of summarized how I feel about hecklers. You know, just the idea of how dare you think that you can do this. You know, there is no profession where someone who is, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best. You know, I know that there are guys out there. There are the Louis C.K.s and the Bill Burrs and the Ted Alexanders that I can only aspire to be. You know, but but I have no question in my head that you know, put me in there. I'm in the top. I'm certainly the top 500, maybe higher. And if you look at the top 500 baseball players, you know, you're you're talking starters in the major leagues. You know, so how dare you look at someone who is at my level in this profession and and tell me that what I do is easy? You know, you might not like right. it, might not agree with it. That's fine, but don't you dare tell me that this was easy. Horrible thing to say to a comedian. Uh, it's, you know, it, it I is. would have and uh, well, I'm I was going to say that uh, Seinfeld has a great has a great uh, line where he said, "Basic comedian is the only profession." where your title doesn't change from day one to the day you retire. You're a comedian. For the first time you step on stage, there's no president of comedy. You know, there's no, it doesn't work that way. And so a lot of people think that because they have the same title, that they can, they're just as good when they first start out. You know, and and the thing that I always say about that is, you know, when someone thinks, oh, well, I'm funny at parties, I can just go be a comic. You know what? You might have an inkling towards science, but nobody performs brain surgery the first day of medical school. You know, you right. have to be you have to be trained. And you know, like yeah. any like any lucrative uh, profession, you know, whether it's you know entertainment or sports or politics or anything like that, where the where the top of the profession is very lucrative, you know, there are going to be a lot of people competing, and you've got to be trained enough to be better than them. And that's that's what takes years. Well, yeah, speaking of Seinfeld, did you uh, ever try the thing where you find out where your heckler works and then go there and heckle that person? Oh, no. I mean, he, that that scene was so great. You know, that <laughs> that episode was such a comic's dream. But, you know, I would never do that partially because I would never want to see that person again. You know, I would never want to make it real. <laughs> you know, I don't want to take that. And also, like, when I'm on stage... You know, I've got the microphone and the spotlight and the 200 people cheering for me. You know, right. I don't have that if I walk into, you know, to Home Depot or wherever they work. You know, it it is. Uh, but but the reason why that scene was so great is because it really does show that, you know, you're disrupting someone at work. You know, let them do their job. Like, and yeah. while... And and someone uh someone actually asked me uh because of one of the YouTube videos someone asked me like oh you know would you ever heckle another comic to see how they handle it and I said no the same way that I wouldn't cut the brakes on someone's race car you know mm-hmm. because yes would it be amazing if you could still win the race without brakes that'd be fantastic but that doesn't <laughs> mean you need to force him to you know uh-huh. if, if 
you know, I mean, these dramatic stories, like when it comes to sports, you know, uh, Kirk Gibson's home run, where he, you know, where he hit that World Series home run injured, that was amazing. That doesn't mean you need to break the guy's leg before he goes to bat. You know, if, if it happens, it happens. But that doesn't mean you need to put the adversity in their way to watch them overcome it. It's great when people overcome it, but it's not your responsibility to make that happen. And that's that's the misguided notion of hecklers. Uh, like, you know, they'll come up to me after the show and be like, oh, isn't that great what we did? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you had no part in that. Like, if it was yeah. only you and I didn't respond to it, it would have been miserable. Like, if I had just shut down or just continued with the show, it would have been awful. You know, <laughs> it, it they forced my hand. I had to, you know, I had to play the cards, but, you know, that doesn't mean I want right. it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's a pretty good analogy for it. Did you? Uh, do you think that the the woman who stormed out because uh, the woman who stormed out in Kansas? Do you think that her aborted fetus will go on to win the Heisman Trophy one day? I, you know, what, if people don't know, if people haven't listened to the album, they're very confused by that question. <laughs> um, but but no, I don't. I do not. Uh, partially because her mom's a, because you know the kid's mom is a quitter. But um, you know. <laughs> I think uh well I actually might I might uh edit that into the into future versions of that joke. Um but <laughs> yeah. It's just it, the the idea of closing off to someone before you hear what it is that they're trying to say before you listen to the whole point is so utterly ridiculous. Um mm-hmm. you know someone posted because people don't realize that we're human. You know a lot of people right. forget that we're actually people. And that we actually, when you make a comment on the YouTube stuff, we might read it, you know? And someone, like, someone posted uh, today on the, I did, you know, I did this thing about Larry the Cable Guy uh, years and years ago, six, six years ago at this point, that, you know, mm-hmm. and I talk about, you know, how he's racist, homophobic, and, you know, the character is anyway. And right. the guy basically writes this rant about how, like, oh, you're saying this because it's Southern people and because there's a flannel and blah, blah, blah. And, like, how does that make him racist? And I just really wanted to say, like, you're getting mad at something you clearly didn't listen to. I didn't say because he right. wears flannel he's racist. Kurt Cobain wore flannel. Didn't make him racist. You know, <laughs> he's racist because he says negative things about people based on their race. That's what makes him racist. And but But this guy, you know, he hears an opinion different than his, and without listening to why just knee-jerk reaction, you're wrong, I'm right, you know, and it's, you know, and, and that is, frankly, what I what I think is kind of destroying us as a country and why other countries, you know, are surpassing us. It's hard to do the we're number one thing anymore when, you know, in every measurable category we're not, uh, you know, because there's no intelligent discourse anymore. You know, it's just, I should say no intelligent, but very little, and it's it's very frustrating to just kind of sit there and watch people argue without without them listening to each other. Like, you can't. Yeah. And it, it's it's really, the, and the toughest thing is, you can't reason with someone who's unreasonable. And sometimes you right. just have to give up and say, you know what, I I hope your kids are smarter than you are and that you'll die out and your vote won't count anymore. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the only thing you can work for. Uh, I hear you. Um, it, well, okay, so you started, you started, said that you started writing to impress girls. Did, did this work? You're, yeah. you're married now, huh? Uh, you know, I think it did. <laughs> and uh, I think part of, I think part of, you know, what, what work is, you know, it's not like, I mean, 
my wife wasn't, you know, impressed by my writing or my career. She actually doesn't even care, um, which mm-hmm. is, you know, wonderful and part of why I'm married to her. Um, what what worked, though, is that, you know, people started finally noticing me, <clears throat> and I had the courage to actually act like myself. You know, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, and it took years, oh, it took years of me being really, you know, stupid and careless and making a lot of mistakes to try to make up for high school uh, before I finally, you know, kind of figured out who I was. Um, right. Before, you know, before I figured out who I was and and actually was able to, you know, to land someone decent, which, by the way, I just got run over by a wheelchair, just so you know. I was um, wondering what was <laughs> by, Yeah, there was a, an airport employee who was, I guess, carrying a wheelchair and not paying attention at all. And I was walking in front of them, and they just ran my foot over. So that was fun, uh, <laughs> speaking of intelligent discourse. Um, so I, I am, okay. I'm going to move to another section of the airport now where, where I hopefully won't die. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be nice. <laughs> um, okay, see, so we're going to play a game we always play on the show. It's called Hot or Hot Mess, where I give you a list of things. You tell me if they are hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? Okay, hot or hot mess. Okay. All right, yes, sir. Here we go. Oh, the mess, you. Okay, first up on hot or hot mess, Justin Bieber, hot or hot mess. Uh, <laughs> I hate that you just basically asked me whether or not a 16-year-old boy is hot. Thanks for thanks for putting me in that position. Um. <laughs> But he, you know, I mean, his his career is certainly hot, and he's, I mean, you got to give it as as annoying as he might be, he is talented. He is very very talented. You know, singer, dancer, drummer, whatever else he's doing, uh, probably you know half the sixteen year old girls in the country, um, and beyond, you know, international <laughs> and everything. So I, I would say hot, not hot mess. <laughs> All right. Um, how about Miley Cyrus, hot or hot mess? Hot mess. Easily hot mess. She has, I'd say she's got three years maybe before she does a full Ohan. Um, with, <laughs> you know, with, and, and the reason why. like a sexual position or something. Oh, that's how I meant it. Uh, no, uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. Like, it's the, she's got a stage dad who is on stage himself, which I think is even scarier than Michael Lohan. It's, you know, the stuff that he's okay with. And you know what? I Now, granted, you know, Liv Tyler did okay, and Steven Tyler did put her in a video in her underwear when she was 17, but uh, I, yeah. I really think Miley has has made enough missteps already that I, I think it's it's a matter of time before, uh, before we start putting her on a Spears alert. <laughs> um... Okay. Uh, Los Angeles, hot or hot mess? Uh, I think it's both. I mean, it's it's a complete mess, but it's also, you know, I mean, the, the, the weather is wonderful, and it's a very, you know, kind of uh, laid-back lifestyle. So I, I'd, uh, I'd give it both. I, you know, I have plenty of complaints about it, but I also, uh, I also do enjoy it to a degree. So I'll, 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 call, that a, I'll call that a draw. <laughs> okay, so maybe a hot, hot mess. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a hot, hot mess. 
Okay. Um, uh, Walmart, hot or hot mess? Oh, complete hot mess. It's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's like saying hot mess, hot or hot mess. Clearly, it's a hot mess. That's what it's called. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know I do the Walmart stuff on my CD, but it's just, it is, and this is a culture that I never experienced until I started traveling, because I'm from New York City, and we don't, we still don't have a Walmart. They, they're trying to get in. Right, you know, we keep we keep kind of vote against them, but it, it is a it is a a shockingly awful environment. I actually went to two WalMarts yesterday because I uh, I lost my uh, I lost my gloves and all these. I ca- I tried to go to like the mall first, and everybody wasn't no one's selling winter stuff anymore. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll go to Walmart. So I had to go to two different WalMarts in rural Ohio and then rural Pennsylvania. It was nice. I had like the I, I had like the the white trash tour. It was great. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Um. So definite definite hot mess. What 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 do they say when when you walk into the Walmart again? Oh, I can't I can't do that here right, without without Sarah, <laughs> a kindly old lady working at the information desk. <laughs> so if anyone wants to know, you'll have to buy the album. It's called. Pick Your Battles, new Steve Hofstetter album, reached number one on iTunes. Definitely top that. Um, how about Lady Gaga, Hot or Hot Mess? Uh, I'd say hot, although I think I think her recording that song that sounded exactly like Express Yourself was a really bad idea. I mean, I guess it you know created some controversy, got her publicity, but she was doing a very good job of being like, you know, because people keep comparing her to Madonna, and she's clearly an influence. Yes. And she was doing a good job of, you know, being kind of her own artist and then came out with a song that basically had the same message and the same, you know, arrangement. <laughs> so kind of right. a bad idea. But, you know, overall, I mean, who, you know, who, who is the last artist, I mean, aside from Madonna, you know, who is the last artist that, you know, made such a difference, you know, in the, in the music world in such a short amount of time. That's also the amazing thing. I mean, what's, what's Gaga been, I mean, she's been in it for a little while, but, She's been known for what three years, you know, and when mm-hmm. when Just Dance came out, did anyone have any idea that she would be this big? Like Just Dance, I thought, oh, one hit wonder, and then Poker Face came right. out. I'm like, oh, it's the same song, but I guess two, and then, you know, and then Gaga was born out of an egg, apparently. Uh, at least it's <laughs> at, the, at the Grammys, anyway. Right. Um, okay, so this next part of Hot or Hot Mess, I'm going to play you a series of audio clips you, from our show. You tell me if they're hot or a hot mess. First, all right, I'm going to I'm going to try. It's, it's a little hard to hear in here with all the background noise, but I'll give it a shot. Okay, let's give it a shot. First up on Hot or Hot Mess is your frat brother Jonathan Demar's rip torn. And after that, he sort of says, he says, somebody owes me a martini, and the whole <laughs> table cracks up. He's like, somebody owes me a martini. Wait, did you, that, did you say that was an imitation of Rip Torn? Yes, sir. Okay, I was trying to figure out. I'm like, wow, that's a hell of an esoteric reference. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. That's, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go hot mess on that one because I don't really know what the context was. So, it's a that's a that's a difficult one to say. <laughs> okay, hot mess. Uh, yes, next up on uh, Hot or Hot Mess, fellow comedian Leah Delaria's Ethel Merman. There's no business like show business like no business I know. There. <laughs> Having anyone doing, anyone doing an Ethel Merman impression in 2011 is a hot mess. 
I don't okay. I don't know her, I don't know her personally and she might be hilarious, you know, I don't I don't actually know her but but I uh, I just yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not I'm not into the Ethel Merman these days. <laughs> Are you saying you don't know Ethel Merman personally cuz I thought you did? No. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I she babysat for me. No, I <laughs> I've certainly never met Ethel Merman. But I just think it's, you know, like like I don't really have you know, an impression of, of like Warren G. Harding either. You know, <laughs> the, the time. Next, next up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is comedian Jordan Ferber's Ethel Merman. There's no business like show business. There's no business I know. Why are so many people impersonating Ethel Merman? I don't understand. It's a good combo. I don't understand why your show was set in the 1950s, um, or might have been earlier. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, I know Jordan. I know him pretty well. Good guy, funny comic. I'm still gonna go hot mess because <laughs> I just don't understand why. People, are you? Do you set people up? Do you like at the end of the show? You're like, okay, that's the part of the show where we force you to do an Apple Merman impression. Is that? No. So he heard Leah Delarius, and he was like, well, I could do that, and then he did it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Well, I'm not going to do either, so. <laughs> <laughs> more like a, it's more like a tranny Ethel Merman, maybe his, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was definitely a deeper voice, or maybe it was a higher voice than Ethel's actual voice, but uh, it was, it was definitely, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do an impersonation of, you know, someone, you know, sitting on my ass in the Des Moines airport trying not to scare children. <laughs> okay. Next up on Hot or Hot Mess is Sean Jeunesse from Rock of Ages' Vince McMahon impression. Now what you want to do here is <laughs> you gotta <laughs> you want to you want to really punch this word. And I... Hot or hot. That was actually pretty. That, that was actually pretty good. Um, I especially I would not have expected that coming from someone who did Rock of Ages, but and also I haven't seen it, but I've I've been told it's awesome. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually I'm gonna be nice. I'm gonna give him hot on that one. Okay, awesome. Um, next up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is what happened when Matt Lisey from the Fantastics off Broadway had a little problem in the middle of our interview. Oh my God, I was choking for a second. Ooh, hang on. <laughs> okay, no problem. Are you okay? Uh, yeah. Um, you're gonna laugh at me. I got like, I'm eating French fries. Um, it's kind of. Uh-huh. Kind of apropos, but um, one got lodged in my throat. But anyway, um, <laughs> hot uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say hot mess. Um, partially because I actually ate a bunch of French fries during this interview, and nobody even knew. So that's that's how, that's how you do it, very subtly. People eat on this show all the time. I, I don't understand what the. Uh, well, it's because yeah. it's because you know the interview is an hour long. Like I, you know, people get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> an hour is a damn long time. Um, actually, for me, it was just you know I touched down and I I was hungry on the plane and you know the the eight pretzels that they give you it don't really do it. So yeah, I, I had to Next stop and get awful airport fries. <laughs> Last up on not only were they fries but they were from McDonald's and he was at a train station in Philadelphia and about to play a heroin addict in a movie. Wow, that's which is he was probably method acting at that point because I've been to the train <laughs> station in Philly and and it's uh yep. <laughs> you'd have a lot of colleagues there. 
<laughs> um, last up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is hip hop legend Biz Marquis beatboxing on our show. <laughs> You know, I, you, could, you could have told me this is hip-hop legend Bismarcky killing a small child on our show, and I would have said hot. Bismarcky is a man and uh, and and is responsible for one of the best, worst songs of all time. <laughs> and, you know, and you know exactly, I'm not talking about the Vapors. I'm talking about the real one. Uh, oh, and, baby, you. Know, you. I, yeah, there's, there's no way I could say anything he does is wrong. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so... Except perhaps how much he eats, but uh, he's. Uh, I, 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 I'll close it out by saying he's hot. <laughs> okay, Bismarcky, hot holla. Um, let's. Uh, uh, well, we have a couple minutes left tonight. Is the Oscars? Do you are you going to watch? Do you have any predictions for who's going to win? Uh, I have a pre- I have a prediction for the Oscars that it, that it's going to disrupt my show terribly, and that <laughs> you know it's going to cut into my crowd. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know, honestly, I don't know. I don't really follow the stuff too much. You know, the, as much as like, you know, I'm excited that I'm possibly, you know, Grammy nomination eligible this year, you know, that's, that's a cool thought, you know, it's, yeah. you know, art, art's not done for the awards, you know, art is done for the art and the awards show. It's a, you know, it's a nice little industry service work, but it's not. You know, I, I think it's for the most part, it's not why we do this, and so I don't, I don't really follow that stuff. Got it. So yeah, sorry, sorry to be, you... sorry to end by being Debbie Downer here, but <laughs> you know, but if if it wins, if it doesn't, you know, there are plenty of phenomenal movies that have won Oscars, and there are plenty of terrible movies that have won Oscars, and and it, you know, it doesn't, it it, it might. You know, it, it might feel great, and I'll tell you this: if I ever win one, of course, I'll be thrilled. You know, but at the yeah. same time, it's, you know, it's not why you do it. Right. Absolutely. So uh, I know that you are from Jamaica, Queens, and as are Ja Rule and 50 Cent. Do you, who would win if you guys got in a fight? Well, it's more than Ja Rule and 50 Cent. There, there are a couple other people, Trap Called Quest, uh, you know, Black Sheep, um, the Ramones. You know, it's kind of... Jamaica's responsible for a lot of fantastic musical talent. Uh, who would win in a fight between Ja Rule and 50 Cent? And um, oh, oh, if it was the two of them teaming up against me. Uh, well, or, it, yeah. if, it, if it was like one of their pinkies against me, I would still lose. Uh, first of all, they're they're bigger than me. Second of all, you can't kill 50 Cent. He's, a, he's undead. You know, yeah, he's, he's died nine he, times already. Yeah, exactly. He's I mean the dude the dude has outlived cats at this point. Uh exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that they would uh I, I don't even think that there would be a fight. I don't I don't think even if I was trying to start a fight with them, like if I went up to one of them and punched them in the face, I think they would just laugh too much. You know, they would just be like, There's no way this skinny white kid wants to fight us right now. There's no possible way that this will ever happen. So and I would have to I, ice your fist. Yeah. I call shenanigans to your question and <laughs> say that it will never, ever happen. Um, but between Ja Rule and 50 Cent, I think 50 Cent would win. Probably. He's a lot bigger. Um, okay, so, yeah. Steve, what? Uh, where are you playing tonight? I'm playing Central College in Pella, Iowa. 
Um, they're actually, okay. it's kind of a cool show. I did a contest on my website where the college with the most sign-ups, uh, when I did like the free downloads of my, of one of my albums, the college with the most sign-ups got a free show and something like, I think it's something like 30% of their student body signed up and downloaded my album. So I'm not going to be able to do any of those jokes. Um, but you know, but at the same time, it's really cool. Like I, and I know that I'm fighting with the Oscars tonight, but it's really cool going into the show knowing that, that this crowd is super pumped and fought for this show, you know, as opposed to a show where like 25% of the crowd is really excited and then the rest just came with them because they had nothing else to do. So it's, yeah. uh, it, it should be a fun show for me. Well, have a great show. And what is, what is next for you, sir? Uh, next for me is more of the same, you know, it's, I, I kind of joke around, like I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and they're like, oh, so what's new? I'm like, well, I got married in December, and I just had the number one album in the world. And they were like, oh, you got anything else going on? I'm like, no, I think that's enough. You know, I, I'm, I think that's, I'm good for a little bit. Maybe I'll sleep, you know? Um, but I, I, I mean, of course I got other projects in the pipeline, but I'm going to, I'm going to bask in the album for the next couple of weeks before I really announce anything else. Yeah, man, ride this wave and enjoy it, and uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, great things will happen in the future. You're hilarious. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for doing the show, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks much, and, uh, and you know, good luck getting uh, getting more people like Pismarki on, because that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Talk to right, you soon. Thanks so much. Hey, you too, Steve. Bye. Okay, that was Steve Hofstetter. Uh, pick up.